This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here, and welcome to Alpaca Tribe, the podcast for alpaca people. I've been watching my alpacas recently and trying to make sense of what I'm seeing. And there's a whole load of stuff that goes on, but it reminded me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. In 1943, Abraham Maslow wrote his seminal paper, A Theory of Human Motivation, which is published in Psychological Review. It identified a number of levels of basic needs, which went through from physiological, through safety, love and belonging, to esteem and self-actualization. If needs are not met, Maslow argued, that it could lead to illness, particularly psychiatric or mental health issues, and even death or becoming extremely ill. Motivation. That's the key. It's also known as Maslow's Pyramid. You can read about this, and there's links in the show notes. The principal conclusion was not a simple, you will satisfy the lower needs first, and only then progress to the later ones, but they will all get satisfied to a greater or lesser extent, but that the more lower needs are met, the more you can give attention to the higher ones. So I've been thinking about that, What is it that motivates alpacas? Now, I am definitely not saying that there is a direct correlation between Maslow's work and alpacas. Human psychology and alpaca psychology are quite different. But I think it is reasonable to assert that alpacas do have a psychological dimension to them. For the avoidance of doubt, alpacas are not people. No, really. I know that may come as a surprise to some of you, but there we are. I am clear that they will problem-solve, have a fairly complex social structure in the herd setting, and probably understand more than you think. There are two facets for us to take into account in our keeping of alpacas. Firstly, it can help us have more understanding about this behaviour and motivation, and also how we can provide for them in better ways for their basic needs, but also some of the higher ones. I don't propose pushing these ideas to extremes, but more as a jumping-off place to think about what motivates your alpacas. The basic motivational needs Maslow identified were physiological. This would include the obvious ones of breathing, eating, drinking, sex, sleep, relaxation and movement. You can immediately see these kind of motivations expressed in a group of alpacas. We've talked about basic needs for alpacas a few times on the podcast, food and water and shelter, etc. If you run a mixed herd of males and females, you will also have experienced the motivation to reproduce. The males and their fighting behaviour is trying to position themselves as top males, or at least high enough in the herd to get a look in. I have tried to tell them that I'm in charge of all that kind of thing and that they don't need to worry, but they don't seem to care. Sleep, relaxation and movement, all important to alpacas. 
And we shouldn't forget the chewing the cud, which strangely didn't seem to figure at all in Abraham Maslow's original work. Let's look at them in a bit more detail. Breathing. Obviously important to all life. For alpacas, I would interpret this as having enough space. The strong herd instincts mean that they want to be together. However, they also like to have enough space, room to breathe, you could say. Motivation for behaviour was the focus of this psychological paper. How might food and water motivate our alpacas? I've noticed with my groups of animals at least, that they have a favoured routine. In the morning, down one corner of the valley, and then a gradual drifting along the bank of the lake, grazing and chewing the cud in turn, and then in the afternoon they'll be round into the car park area, nearer to the stable, ready for the evening feed. I see evidence of motivation to find sufficient and also the tastiest grazing. Some grass is not up to their exacting standards, though. Too bitter, too tough, too long. Other grass is continuously grazed and kept short. Great flavour, obviously, because in that case it's not quantity that they're seeking. Lush, green grass will develop and tend to grow around the dung piles. As you will probably know, they will tend to add their droppings to an existing pile having first sniffed and identified it's a good place for them to want to be found. Folklore, and maybe the textbooks, tell us that this green lush grass by the poo pile will not be eaten by them because it tastes bitter. So, okay, I have a question. How do they know? No, not the alpacas, but the sharers of anecdotes. How do they know that it tastes bitter? Have you tried it? Are you a good judge of such things? Suffice it to say, it has been my experience that the alpacas will leave it to grow long and uneaten unless there really is nothing else around. In their native Altoplano, the Andean high plains, they range over wide areas in search of good grazing. Generally, we provide them with richer pickings, but in a more restricted patch, so they are forced to consider bitterness and other suitability factors before they would in Peru or Chile. What might we learn from this? Give them enough space. Five to an acre is a great guide. Avoid intensive cramped grazing to prevent increasing the parasite burden, as well as avoiding bitter grass. Water supplies have their own folklore too. According to the textbook, they would rather go thirsty than drink dirty water. Well, mine haven't read that particular textbook. And they happily drink from buckets with bits floating and from puddles, etc. To be fair, though, it's not water contaminated with droppings, which would no doubt have a bitter taste. And no, I haven't tested it. Maslow's hierarchy included... Sex. Now, it's worth mentioning here that the cohort of interviewees was drawn from American long-distance truck drivers. So we will have to make a slight adjustment for applying his work to alpacas and maybe to other human populations on this particular issue. Context is everything. I've already mentioned the tendency of the male alpacas to fight and demonstrate their mating credentials. 
When able to do so, I also observed that the females will go seeking out the males. On our farm, if the girls are out free in the centre of the valley, they will usually include a trip to the gate to the boys' field, when they're not searching for that non-bitter grass. On one occasion, I could hear ogling at a distance from the area of the boys' field shelter. A temporary fence or gate had been bypassed by the girls who had eaten through the vegetation barrier and decided to go pay a visit. No harm done, and I managed to bring them all back down the hill and have since added in an extra gate to thwart their amorous wanderings. We have regular farm visits, and I often handle them on my own. On another occasion, ten minutes before the group of visitors were due to arrive, I suddenly became aware of the distinctive male ogling sound emanating from the far end of the valley. I ran down there as quick as I could. It was definitely more than one voice. As I approached, my good idea of opening the gate to the kitchen garden area proved to have been ill-conceived, if you pardon the pun. A low fence where they did not normally have contact was at fault. There was mayhem. Howell was trying to fight off some of the males and keep them away from his girls. Some of the girls had jumped the fence to join the boys, and some of the boys had jumped the fence to be with the girls. And there were four or five potential matings all happening all at the same time. Some of them in threes. Anyway, remember, I was on my own, and the visitors were about to arrive. Well, it would have been an education for them, for sure. Anyway, I launched into separation and eviction, and eventually got order restored, and I think it was evident there was strong motivation at work, on all fronts. Lesson. When planning to do something you don't normally do, like open the gate to the kitchen garden, take a long pause to consider all of the unforeseen outcomes. Mind you, I probably would not have seen that one coming anyway, even if I had paused. No damage done and no pregnancies resulted, and the visitors had a good time, though were none the wiser about the shenanigans just before their arrival. Going back to Abraham Maslow's pyramid, or hierarchy of needs, the next layers after the basic physiological motivations are safety, order, stability, health, and protection. Alpacas are always on alert and motivated to be in places and positions which leave them feeling safe. The herd has its own hierarchy, not of needs, but of order, with leaders and followers. Millie at the front, Amelia at the back. Howell bosses the food and the gate, which means potential access to his girls. When things are relaxed and there are no attempts to alter this order, peace reigns, as does stability. Health and protection are more directly in our control, but the alpacas do at times seem to seek out health-promoting vegetation or soil, etc., to balance their own diets. As I said earlier, it was not intended to be a direct transfer from Abraham Maslow's work to alpacas, but hopefully it raises at least some thoughts and provides a little more insight. You've just got to keep watching your alpacas. As a quick review, here are my top takeaways. 
Number one, alpacas are not human, but do have a psychological dimension to them. Number two, it is helpful to consider Maslow's hierarchy of needs and motivations to help us understand why our alpacas do what they do. And thirdly, it also helps us care for them appropriately by providing their basic needs, alpaca style. Thanks for being here and hope to see you again soon. Let me know if you have any questions or comments, email or speak pipe always available, plus comments can be left on the website at alpacatribe.com. Go watch an alpaca. This is the Alpaca Tribe, and I'm Steve Hetherington. Have a great day.